Chapter Eight of Prevailing Prayer: What Hinders It by D. L. Moody. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Marianne. Chapter Eight: Faith. Another element is faith. It is as important for us to know how to pray as it is to know how to work. We are not told that Jesus ever taught his disciples how to preach, but he taught them how to pray. He wanted them to have power with God. Then he knew they would have power with man. In James we read, If any of you lack wisdom, let him ask of God, and it shall be given him, but let him ask in faith, nothing wavering. So faith is the golden key that unlocks the treasures of heaven. It was the shield that David took when he met Goliath on the field. He believed that God was going to deliver the Philistine into his hands. Someone has said that faith could lead Christ about anywhere. Wherever he found it, he honored it. Unbelief sees something in God's hand and says, I cannot get it. Faith sees it and says, I will have it. The new life begins with faith. Then we have only to go on building on that foundation. I say unto you, What things soever ye desire, when ye pray, believe that ye receive them, and ye shall have them. But bear in mind, we must be in earnest when we go to God. I do not know of a more vivid illustration of the cry of distress for help going up to God in all the earnestness of deeply realized need than the following story supplies. Carl Steinman, who visited Mount Helka, Iceland, just before the great eruption in 1845, after a repose of 80 years, narrowly escaped death by venturing into the smoking crater against the earnest entreaty of his guide. On the brink of the yawning gulf, he was prostrated by a convulsion of the summit, and held there by blocks of lava upon his feet. He graphically writes, Oh, the horrors of that awful realization! There, over the mouth of a black and heated abyss, I was held suspended, a helpless and conscious prisoner, to be hurled downward by the next great throw of trembling nature. Help! 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 For the love of God, help! I shrieked in the very agony of my despair. I had nothing to rely on but the mercy of heaven, and I prayed to God as I had never prayed before, for the forgiveness of my sins, that they might not follow me to judgment. All at once I heard a shout, and, looking around, beheld, with feelings that cannot be described, my faithful guide hastening down the sides of the crater to my relief. I warned you, said he. You did, I cried, but forgive me and save me, for I am perishing. I will save you or perish with you. The earth trembled and the rocks parted, one of them rolling down the chasm with a dull, booming sound. I sprang forward. I seized a hand of the guide, and the next moment we had both fallen, locked in each other's arms, upon the solid earth above. I was free, but still upon the verge of the pit. Bishop Hall, in a well-known extract, thus puts the point of earnestness in its relation to the prayer of faith. An arrow, if it be drawn up but a little way, goes not far, but, if it be pulled up to the head, flies swiftly and pierces deep. Thus prayer, if it only be dribbled forth from careless lips, falls at our feet. It is the strength of ejaculation and strong desire which sends it to heaven, and makes it pierce the clouds. It is not the arithmetic of our prayers, how many they are, nor the rhetoric of our prayers, how eloquent they be, nor the geometry of our prayers, how long they be, nor the music of our prayers, how sweet our voice may be, nor the logic of our prayers, how argumentative they may be, 
nor the method of our prayers, how orderly they may be, nor even the divinity of our prayers, how good the doctrine may be, which God cares for. He looks not for the horny knees, which James is said to have had, through the assiduity of prayer. We might be like Bartholomew, who is said to have had a hundred prayers for the morning and as many for the evening, and all might be of no avail. Fervency of spirit is that which availeth much. Archbishop Leighton says, It is not the gilded paper and good writing of a petition that prevails with a king, but the moving sense of it. And to that king who discerns the heart, heart sense is the sense of all, and that which he only regards. He listens to hear what that speaks, and takes all as nothing where that is silent. All other excellence in prayer is but the outside and fashion of it. This is the life of it. Brooks says, As a painted fire is no fire, a dead man is no man, so a cold prayer is no prayer. In a painted fire there is no heat, in a dead man there is no life, so in a cold prayer there is no omnipotency, no devotion, no blessing. Cold prayers are as arrows without heads, as swords without edges, as birds without wings. They pierce not, they cut not, they fly not up to heaven. Cold prayers do always freeze before they get to heaven. Oh, that Christians would chide themselves out of their cold prayers and chide themselves into a better and warmer frame of spirit when they make their supplications to the Lord. Take the case of the Syrophoenician woman. When she called to the master, it seemed for a time as if he were deaf to her request. The disciples wanted her to be sent away. Although they were with Christ for three years and sat at his feet, yet they did not know how full of grace his heart was. Think of Christ sending away a poor sinner who had come to him for mercy. Can you conceive such a thing? Never once did it occur. This poor woman put herself in the place of her child. Lord, help me, she said. I think when we get so far that in the earnest desire to have our friends blessed, we put ourselves in their place, God will soon hear our prayer. I remember a number of years ago at a meeting, I asked all those who wished to be prayed for to come forward and kneel or take seats in the front. Among those who came was a woman. I thought by her looks she must be a Christian, but she knelt down with the others. I said, You are a Christian, are you not? She said she had been one for so many years. Did you understand the invitation? I asked those only who wanted to become Christians. I shall never forget the look on her face as she replied, I have a son who has gone far away. I thought I would take his place today and see if God would not bless him. Thank God for such a mother as that. The Syrophoenician woman did the same thing. Lord, help me. It was a short prayer, but it went right to the heart of the Son of God. He tried her faith, however. He said, it is not meet to take the children's bread and cast it to the dogs. She replied, Truth, Lord, yet the dogs eat of the crumbs which fall from their master's table. O oh, woman, great is thy faith. What a eulogy he paid to her. Her story will never be forgotten as long as the church is on the earth. He honored her faith and gave her all she asked for. Everyone can say, Lord, help me. We all need help. As Christians, we need more grace more love, more purity of life, more righteousness, then let us make this prayer today. I want God to help me preach better and to live better, to be more like the Son of God. The golden chains of faith link us right to the throne of God, and the grace of heaven flows down into our souls. 
I do not know but that woman was a great sinner. Still, the Lord heard her cry. It may be that up to this hour you have been living in sin, but if you will cry, Lord, help me, he will answer your prayer, if it is an honest one. Very often when we cry to God, we do not really mean anything. You mothers understand that. Your children have two voices. When they ask you for anything, you can soon tell if the cry is a make-believe one or not. If it is, you do not give any heed to it. But if it is a real cry for help, how quickly you respond. The cry of distress always brings relief. Your child is playing around and says, Mama, I want some bread, but it goes on playing. You know that it is not very hungry, so you let it alone. But by and by, the child drops the toys and comes tugging at your dress. Mama, I am so hungry. Then you know that the cry is a real one. You soon go to the pantry and get some bread. When we are in earnest for the bread of heaven, we will get it. This woman was terribly in earnest, therefore her petition was answered. I remember hearing of a boy brought up in an English almshouse. He had never learned to read or write, except that he could read the letters of the alphabet. One day a man of God came there and told the children that if they prayed to God in their trouble, he would send them help. After a time, this boy was apprenticed to a farmer. One day he was sent out into the fields to look after some sheep. He was having a rather hard time, so he remembered what the preacher had said, and he thought he would pray to God about it. Someone going by the field heard a voice behind the hedge. They looked to see whose it was, and they saw the little fellow on his knees, saying, A, B, C, D, and so on. The man said, My boy, what are you doing? He looked up and said he was praying. Why, that is not praying. It is only saying the alphabet. He said he did not know just how to pray, but a man once came to the poorhouse who told them that if they called upon God, he would help them. So he thought that if he named over the letters of the alphabet, God would take them and put them together into a prayer and give him what he wanted. The little fellow was really praying. Sometimes, when your child talks, your friends cannot understand what he says, but the mother understands very well. So if our prayers come right from the heart, God understands our language. It is a delusion of the devil to think we cannot pray. We can, if we really want anything. It is not the most beautiful or the most eloquent language that brings down the answer. It is the cry that goes up from a burdened heart. When this poor Gentile woman cried out, Lord, help me, the cry flashed over the divine wires and the blessing came. So you can pray if you will. It is the desire, the wish of the heart, that God delights to hear and to answer. Then we must expect to receive a blessing. When the centurion wanted Christ to heal his servant, he thought he was not worthy to go and ask the Lord himself, so he sent his friends to make the petition. He sent out messengers to meet the master and say, Do not trouble yourself to come. All you have to do is speak the word, and the disease will go. Jesus said to the Jews, I have not found so great faith, no, not in Israel. He marveled at the faith of this centurion. It pleased him, so that he healed the servant then and there. Faith brought the answer. In John we read of a nobleman whose child was sick. The father fell on his knees before the master and said, Come down, ere my child die. Here you have both earnestness and faith. And the Lord answered the prayer at once. The nobleman's son began to amend that very hour. Christ honored the man's faith. 
In his case, there was nothing to rest upon but the bare word of Christ. But this was enough. It is well to bear always in mind that the object of faith is not the creature, but the creator, not the instrument, but the hand that wields it. Richard Sibbes put it for us thus, The object in believing is God, and Christ as mediator. We must have both to found our faith upon. We cannot believe in God except we believe in Christ, for God must be satisfied by God, and by him that is God must the satisfaction be applied. The Spirit of God, by working faith in the heart, and for raising it up when it is dejected. All is supernatural in faith. The things we believe are above nature. The promises are above nature. The worker of it, the Holy Ghost, is above nature. And everything in faith is above nature. There must be a God in whom we believe, and a God through whom we may know that Christ is God, not only by that which Christ hath done, the miracles, which none could do but God, but also by what is done to him. And two things are done to him, which show us that he is God, that is, faith and prayer. We must believe not only in God and pray to God, but Christ is the object of both these. Here he is set forth as the object of faith and of prayer in that of St. Stephen, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. And therefore he is God, for that is done unto him which is proper and peculiar only to God. Oh, what a strong foundation, what bottom and basis our faith hath. There is God the Father, Son, and Holy Ghost, and Christ the Mediator. That our faith may be supported, we have him to believe on, who supports heaven and earth. There is nothing that can lie in the way of the accomplishment of any of God's promises, but it is conquerable by faith. As Samuel Rutherford says, commenting on the case of the Syrophoenician woman, see the sweet use of faith under a sad temptation. Faith trafficketh with Christ and heaven in the dark upon plain trust and credit, without seeing any surety of dawn. Blessed are they that have not seen and yet have believed. And the reason is because faith is sinewed and boned with spiritual courage, so as to keep a barred city against hell, yea, and to stand under impossibilities. And here's a weak woman, though not as a woman, yet as a believer, standing out against him who is the mighty God, the Father of ages, the Prince of Peace. Faith only standeth out, and overcometh the sword, the world, and all afflictions. This is our victory, whereby one man overcometh the great and vast world. Bishop Ryle has said of Christ's intercession as the ground and sureness of our faith. The banknote without a signature at the bottom is nothing but a worthless piece of paper. The stroke of a pen confers on it all its value. The prayer of a poor child of Adam is a feeble thing in itself, but once endorsed by the hand of the Lord Jesus, it availeth much. There was an officer in the city of Rome who was appointed to have his doors always open in order to receive any Roman citizen who applied to him for help. Just so, the ear of the Lord Jesus is ever open to the cry, of all who want mercy and grace. It is his office to help them. Their prayer is his delight. Reader, think of this. Is not this encouragement? Let us close this chapter by referring to some of our Lord's own words concerning faith in its relation to prayer. And when he saw a fig tree in the way, he came to it and found nothing thereon, but leaves only, and said unto it, Let no fruit grow on thee henceforward for ever and presently the fig tree withered away. 
and when the disciples saw it they marvelled saying how soon is the fig tree withered away jesus answered and said unto them verily i say unto you if ye have faith and doubt not ye shall not only do this which is done to the fig tree but also if ye shall say unto this mountain be thou removed and be thou cast into the sea it shall be done and all things whatsoever ye ask in prayer believing ye shall receive so again our lord says verily verily i say unto you he that believeth on me the works that i do shall he do also and greater works than these shall he do because i go unto my father and whatsoever ye shall ask in my name that will i do that the father may be glorified in the son if ye shall ask anything in my name i will do it and further if ye abide in me and my words abide in you ye shall ask what ye will and it shall be done unto you verily verily i say unto you whatsoever ye shall ask the father in my name he will give it you hitherto ye have asked nothing in my name ask and ye shall receive that your joy may be full have faith in god by anna shipton have faith in god for he who reigns on high hath borne thy grief and hears the suppliant sigh still to his arms thine only refuge fly have faith in god fear not to call on him o soul distressed thy sorrows whisper woos thee to his breast he who is oftenest there is oftenest blessed have faith in god lean not on egypt's reeds slake not thy thirst at earthly cisterns seek the kingdom first though man and satan fright thee with their worst have faith in god go tell him all the sigh thy bosom heaves is heard in heaven strength and peace he gives who gave himself for thee our jesus lives have faith in god end of chapter 8